0: Well, friends, I'd like you to open up your worship guides, open up your Bibles. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at God's Word, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. And uh, this is my first time preaching uh, in 14 weeks. I'm returning to ministry from a 12-week sabbatical uh, that's really... Uh, and over this summer, I've celebrated my 10th anniversary as being an ordained uh, pastor. So this uh, sabbatical t- came just really... At, concluding the first decade of pastoral ministry. And looking at my own life, and this is, these are things I've shared with you, I take great joy in my work, and I can be a workaholic. And on the Enneagram, if that means anything to you, I'm an Enneagram four wing three. I, again, which just means I take joy in making something very unique. Making something unique. But even in ministry, in any work, you can, it's very easy to develop a work Martyr hero complex. If you know that phrase, martyr complex, where it's like, hey, I got to be the hero here. And so it's very easy just through the work of life, the work of ministry, the work, whatever jobs or vocations or calling that we have, it's very easy for us to neglect our own hearts and our souls just seeking to perform. And so as I think about my sabbatical, it was restful, it was restorative, it was refreshing. And as I, again, looking in my own heart, it's very easy to just hurry and hustle and go through life on that hurry and hustle. In fact, in our culture, hurrying is one of the greatest challenges in our culture. And so therefore, it's actually one of the greatest challenges within our own hearts. And so God says, be still and know that I'm God. That challenge of stillness is actually very hard just to be still. It's very hard for us to... Be still and be comfortable in that silence. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be considering what the rest of God looks like. And so today, as we be- begin that short series on the rest of God, today is about the, an invitation to rest. And so this is Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28 to Matthew 12, verse 8. And I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version. God's Word. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look! Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the word, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your good word. Your word is the word of life. And so, Father, we pray that now as we consider your word that we would know the, what is good and that we would know what is life, giving in our own hearts by the power of your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. And so, friends, uh, here, we are here this morning uh, over a holiday weekend that really marks that fact that summer is over and that the school year is upon us. But during summer, that normally means we are able to go on vacations and have a holiday. I hope that was for you. But have you ever gone on a summer vacation or have had time away where you have found yourself saying, I need a vacation after a vacation? Anyone want to admit to that? Two hands up right here. And so our text this morning is actually about rest. It's about the Sabbath. And the the word Sabbath in the Hebrew means stopping, ceasing. It means rest, rest. So this helps us, if you go back to our call to confession, the passage that Andrew read, is the question, which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. The actual Hebrew word, and if you have a different Bible translation than what's there in front of you, is actually the word Sabbath. And so Jesus is teaching us something here about rest, and that's what we're going to be considering over the next few weeks. We're going to be considering what God's Word says about rest. And as we think about rest within our culture, we tend to think that rest is actually the absence of doing stuff. And that is completely wrong. Rest is not the absence of doing something rest is the presence of someone doing something in your life rest is the presence of someone doing something in your life and by the way his name's jesus so rest is the presence of jesus working in your heart because jesus what we see in this passage there's this invitation but with this invitation there's this promise that when we come to jesus we will exp- we will experience rest we will find what is true and good and nourishing for our soul And unless you find the rest that Jesus offers, you will always be hustling and hurrying. And so to experience this rest, you need to come, the rest of Christ, the rest of God, you need to come into his presence and experience it. Because only before God, you are fully known and fully loved. And when you experience this, you're able to chill. You're able to rest. You're able to stop. And this does take intentionality on our parts because it takes work, it takes effort to experience that. And as we begin to think about this, as we think about the rest of God and the invitation of of rest here, the first thing for us to consider is rest is hard. And if if you're a note-taker here, that's the first point for us to consider. Rest is hard. But why is rest hard? Two reasons why rest is hard. There's two reasons why rest is hard. And the first thing just to acknowledge is that we live in a culture that celebrates busyness. We live in a culture that celebrates the hurry and the hustle and the productivity. Just think about a few things, and we're getting at some statistics here. But think about the question, how much sleep do you get? How much sleep do you get? I, I know doctors say, hey, aim for eight hours. But the... Our average is actually less than that. In fact, 100 years ago, the average person slept 11 hours of sleep a day. And back, in fact, go back to World War II. During a time of war, and you see this poster, this infograph on the USS New Jersey, just right there in Camden Yards, Camden um, Docks. Uh, You'll see right there a poster that says that during World War II, the average night of sleep for sailors was six hours of sleep. Again, how much sleep do you have tonight? It's the same as a sailor during World War II, and that whole poster gets at the, the idea of sleep fatigue and poor decision-making. And f- another statistic, that the average American who lived in 1979 in this same vocation, if your vocation existed in 1979, this, that person worked four less weeks than you do today. In our American society, we have this impulse to keep up with the Joneses. And we have have less paid time off than other Western countries, and yet we consistently leave our paid time off and vacation time unused. And so the problem is not that we don't have opportunities, but we don't use them at all or use them well. So again, call it what you want, This is a workaholic culture, a culture that's dedicated to busyness, hurry, the hustle. I'm using these words synonymously this morning. It's all the same. And so when we think about hurriedness and busyness, this kills what we hold dear. Spirituality, health, marriage, friendships, family, creativity, generosity, it kills these things. In fact, Michael Zigarelli, he's a scholar from the Charleston Southern University School of Business, he conducted a study among 20,000 global Christians, so Christians across the globe, and this was his hypothesis. It may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God being marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to deterioration, a, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians being vulnerable to a secular society and secular assumptions about how life works, which leads to more conformity to busyness, hurry, and overload. His whole thesis is that this is a cycle that feeds itself. And so as we think about why rest is hard, our culture celebrates hurriedness and busyness and work. And the second reason why rest is hard doesn't come from outside of us. It actually comes from within us. That our hearts, within our hearts, we have a pathological busyness. St. Augustine, a North African theologian who lived like 1,500 years ago, he saw this. He said this, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. John Ortberg, who was a pastor in California, he says that hurry is not just a disordered schedule, it is a disordered heart. And so as we think about why rest is hard, rest is hard because there's something wrong in our own hearts. And in fact, we kill Sabbath joy. We kill Sabbath rest. We kill it within our everyday lives. And that's what I want us to focus on as now as we go to our second point. So the first point being that rest is hard. Secondly, how do we kill rest? How do we kill rest? And there's two ways. And we see this first example within our passage here. And the first one is moralism. See, Jesus is experiencing moralism right in front of him from the Pharisees. Because moralism is also known as legalism. Moralism or legalism, I'm using those words interchangeably. This is the idea that the rules and keeping the rules and doing things actually earns grace. It doesn't just mean you, uh, you're keeping the rules earns grace. It also means that keeping the rules earns life and joy. And that means that you are a moralist if you think that your joy comes from keeping all the rules. Because the biblical truth is that our joy comes from God. That's the biblical truth. And so in Jesus' day, the moralists are the Pharisees, especially on the Sabbath. And a lot of other things. But you see it very clearly on the Sabbath here in our passage. Because God said to go back to Exodus 20, go back to Deuteronomy 5, this is next week. And God says that remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the Pharisees, that's, that's the biblical command from God. But the Pharisees added all their other commandments, their own creations, to that one command. They, add, they had these extra biblical commands and said, if you really want to keep the Sabbath day, you have to do these hundreds of other things to remember the Sabbath day. That's how you do it. So, for example, one of those is you can't walk any more than 2,000 steps. I've walked over 3,000. I'm a Sabbath breaker, according to the Pharisees right now. That, like, like, just think about that for a moment. How, may, would you, how many steps have you walked today? You would break it. Just imagine how close you would have to live to the synagogue. I'm four blocks away. So my point is, is that the Pharisees are adding rules to God's good words. It's those rules that actually kill the joy that the, the, the rules that the Pharisees made are what kill the joy that God promises us. And the Pharisees kill the Sabbath rest for the disciples. They're hungry, walking through a field. They just pick up some wheat from with their hands. And then out from the corner, they jump and say, ha-ha, you're sinning. Just imagine going through an orchard, picking up an apple and eating it. And you're like, oh, this is an amazing apple. And then someone jumps out and says, ha-ha, caught you. You're a sinner. And you honestly think to yourself, and you're a jerk. That's how you would be thinking. And so the Pharisees, as moralists and legalists, they are not focusing on God's law. They're focusing on their own additional rules. And the truth is, friends, that whenever you have rules that go above and beyond God's word and enforce them on others, you're, you are a killjoy. We do this in so many different ways of, of life. We don't do it just on the Sabbath. We do it on so many different things. One family may say to themselves, hey, our family's doing public school. Another family may say, we're doing homeschooling or private schooling. That's great. That's within the bounds of Christian liberty. But as soon as you begin saying that the other families are wrong and sinning because they're not doing what your family is doing, that's legalism. That's moralism. Other examples. Think about the movie Footloose, where dancing is illegal in a town. And I just want to say that's not far-fetched. I went to a high school where we weren't allowed to dance, weren't allowed to play card games. Teachers to this day have to sign an alcohol abstinence pledge. See, legalism, that moral policing, robs you of joy. That legalism robs others of joy, and yet many people experience Christians this way. So one of the things that we need to discern within our hearts is are we— focusing on God and his word, or are we focusing on the culture that we create around God's word? And so with all this going on, why would legalism be attractive? Why would we pursue moralism when it is truly, in fact, a life of being a killjoy? Here's Mark Buchanan, the author of The Rest of God. He writes this, The attraction of legalism is that despite the sheer volume of rules, it's mindless. It's checking the box mentality. There's very little or no personal engagement. It substitutes code for conscience, ritual for worship, having the right thinking versus having the right heart, morality versus purity. It's, gr- it's mechanics, math or grammar, no more difficult than cranking a hoist or following an equation. So what Buchanan's getting at is that it's easy. It's mindless. You can, it doesn't actually involve the engagement of your heart. It's simply behavior modification. But, friends, it does not work. Moralism does not work. It's bankrupt. I'm a recovering Pharisee. And how many times have we, perhaps we've gotten together and, and I may even hear it from your own word, your own mouth, and I hear it from others, and they'll be like, hey, you look tired. I'm like, Yes. Why is it that I'm tired? Might not always be lack of sleep due to children, it could be other things within my own heart. And so the question that Jesus wants us to consider is that do you think of yourself as exhausted, weary, worn out, where you are coming to Jesus where you are just spent and you have nothing left to offer? offer? See, we kill rest within our life through moralism and legalism. That's the first way we kill rest. The second way that we kill rest is the opposite. It's licentiousness. Licentiousness is really this, this permissive attitude where you think to yourself, I can do whatever I want to do. It's this rejection of any structure on your life, where you put yourself at the center of your life, where your will, your autonomy, your decisions, your choices, all those things, you yourself determine your life. And we live in a culture that, again, encourages this, that celebrates this. With FOMO, with fear of missing out, or YOLO, you only live once. The idea is that is to live life to the fullest. Do as much as you possibly can, and don't let anyone tell you how you live. So fill your days with work, travels, vacations, fun. Fill it up to the max. But at the end of the day, what gets a short straw? What gets a short straw always is God. God is always the one who gets a short straw. And there's a lesson in history about 100 almost 200 years ago, there was a time in in history when a society sought to do away with God's design on time. Because God designed our time to be six days of work, one day of rest. That's how God designed our time. But there is a a time in history when a society sought to do away with that and embrace a 10-day work week. The idea, or a nine-day work week with one day of rest. But the idea was, they, their goal was to encourage productivity. This is the time known as the French Revolution. The goal is to increase productivity, but the result was the rise of the proletariat. That's the oppressed working class, or the working class that felt oppressed by their ruling class. It was true oppression. Disaster occurred, the economy crashed, suicides increased, and what do you think happened to productivity? Did it go up? It went down. The French thought that the more that you work, the more productive you would be. But that's not the case. In fact, study after study reveals that's not the case. There's no connection between the more you work and the increase of productivity. In fact, once you cross the threshold of uh, uh, 50 hours of work, your productivity begins to go down. And 50 hours is about a a five, six-day work week. See, God tells us things through our bodies, through our limits, through our boundaries, that in fact, but what this gets at is that productivity is not the goal of life. Productivity is a good thing in life. Work is a good thing of life. But when we embrace this licentiousness that I can do whatever I want and God can get the short straw and I can neglect them, that kills the Sabbath joy and rest that Jesus invites you to. So we kill this Sabbath rest by moralism, by licentiousness. And rest is hard. Go back to the first question. Rest is hard because we actually try to remove it from our life. We try to remove the true rest of God from our life due to our sinfulness. So here's this wonderful invitation from Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Though my yoke... Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, here in Matthew 11, 28 is this wonderful invitation to the rest of God. And Jesus is inviting you to come to him. And as you come to him, he is promising that you will experience rest and joy continually, not just on one day, but continually throughout our life. But with this invitation, as I hope I've made it clear to you, Jesus challenges you. That on one side he says, Come to me and experience rest, but, there, but you have to pick up the yoke and put it upon you. You have to come to Jesus and die. That is, so here's the thing, here's the true rub. That if you're going to experience the rest of God in your life, then something must die inside of you. And this, friends, is now like our third and final point the, the rest of God. And how I want to illustrate. What needs to die in our life is actually various stories, quotes, from all names that you know. For example, here's Tom Brady. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? So this is a couple years ago. <laughs> Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and think there's something greater out there for me? I think to myself, oh God, this God got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? Here's one of the greatest athletes of all time, and he's not alone. So that's Tom Brady. Here's another name. David Letterman. A late-night television show host for years. He once said this, that every night you are trying to prove yourself worth. How tonight goes is how I will feel about myself for the next 24 hours. So he's wondering, oh, am I funnier than Conan O'Brien? Or Jay Leno, for next 24 hours, will th- how tonight goes will determine the next 24 hours of how I feel about myself. Another name, Madonna. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. In other words, ordinary. She has this fear of just being ordinary, and that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Those are just three examples, but friends, the list goes on. But these stories reveal that the motivation to become great, to prove your self-worth, to be someone, is actually driven by a deep insecurity. It's driven by a deep satisfaction with life. And every single one of us, every single human being who has ever lived, is asking themselves the question of, am I loved? And so if we are secure in the love of God, then you're able to rest. But if you are not secure in God's love that Jesus offers you and brings you, then you are always going to be hurrying and hustling. You're going to be seeking to prove your own self-worth. So you may be looking to the things of this world to fill that gap to help you feel loved. Because what all these stories reveal to us is that what the world offers you, friends, that isn't a bankrupt promise. That even though the world says, hey, come and experience this, win these Super Bowl rings and you will have rest, come and be the top of, one of the best pop artists of all time and you will experience rest. That's what our world says. But the promise is bankrupt, that what the world offers you cannot actually bring you rest. Because that drive to show that you are someone and somebody and special and meaningful, that drive within you actually needs to die to prove your own self-worth. And Jesus himself died so that you would not live under that crushing, soul-sucking taskmaster. The rest that Jesus offers you is for the exhausted, the weary, and the tired. And there's no shame in admitting that you are tired and exhausted. In fact, what we see from Jesus is that it is by admitting our own exhaustion and weariness that is the only way to have the rest of God that Jesus invites us to. And here's the glorious truth, that when Jesus invites you to come to him, He will give you rest. Jesus is saying that you are somebody to him. That you are special to him. And he's not just saying that with like a a platitude. No, Jesus' life proves it. He humiliated himself. And we see his humiliation in his birth. That God, the creator, became part of the creation. That he took on the form of a servant. That the creator came into this world as a baby. So the Creator of the universe humiliated Himself. He lived under the law. He experienced the curse of sin. He perfectly obeyed God. But what actually truly proves the point is that He died upon the cross. He died a death that I deserve. He died a death that you deserve. The death that we should have died. Jesus paid it, so also that we would never experience God's wrath. See that for Jesus, you are somebody. That you are someone worth living for. You are someone worth dying for. That you, and Jesus is working in our lives to this day. He's indwelling within us. And so to Jesus, you are worth living in and, and perfecting and sanctifying. In fact, Jesus' last words upon the cross were, It is finished. So why are you striving? Why are you hurrying? Why are you hustling? And see, when you experience this rest, your life is different. Your life is different. I just quoted some very successful uh, celebrities. Here's one from the 1930s. Eric Liddell, he was a British Olympian. And it may sound crazy to you, but he loved running. He loved running. And that he said that when I run, I feel God's pleasure. What? He didn't, when he ran, he didn't just do it for the workout. He didn't just do it to get from point A to point B. No, he did it for the pleasure of God. But he had nothing to prove. He is an Olympian. So he's, he is one of the best athletes in the world in the 1930s. But, and he, yet he had nothing to prove. When his event was scheduled for Sunday, he withdrew. He was like, it's on Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. I'm not going to run on the Lord's day. He had nothing to prove because he knew the rest of God. See, friends, when you experience the rest of God, your life changes. Your work changes. Your relationship changes. Your entire posture in life changes. And so as we experience this rest of God, we are able to be a restful people and not a restless people. So as you, friends, the invitation for you today is to come to Jesus and experience the rest of God. And that means you need to examine your heart. Why are you striving? Why are you hurrying? Why are you avoiding the rest that Jesus offers you? Actually, it's deeper than that. Why are you killing the rest that God offers you? Because rest is not the absence of doing things in your life, but rest is the presence of someone doing a great work in your life. And it takes work and intentionality on our part. Jesus says, hey, come put this yoke on me. There's some work to do. And we will experience rest. And so one of the calls of this passage, we'll be considering this in the weeks to come, is that we do need to take some intentionality to shape our life so that we can experience the rest of God in our daily life. It takes work on our part. Because we need to have new priorities. We need to hear God's voice in our life. We need to say no to things, embrace boundaries and stop living for people's approval. But the only way that is possible is to actually come to Jesus, to admit the fact that we are an exhausted people, and He is the only one who can truly give rest to our hearts. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thanks be to God, that is the true promise that only Jesus can give us. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given to us, that you are a God of rest, that you have made us for rest too. In fact, you do not want us to be enslaved to our work or enslaved to taskmasters in our culture, but Father, that you want us to thrive and to flourish and to experience this wonderful rest with you. And you are doing a wonderful work in our lives and that you are doing a wonderful work and you will not leave that work Unfinished, but you will see every good work that you, in our life finished, and that is your promise that you have given us. And so, Father, we pray in the coming weeks ahead, that, in the coming days even, that we would be aware that you are present in our life and working in us and making us more and more into your your image. And it's in Christ's name, I pray. Amen.